0: Send out your light and your truth that it may lead us and bring us to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Amen. Over these last uh, several weeks, we have been reflecting on the question of what it might mean for us to recognize that we are called to more. We have heard several stories about the encounters that Jesus had with his disciples after he was raised from the dead, and we've noted how the disciples found that they were called to more by the risen Lord, called to deeper levels of faithfulness, called to deeper levels of trust in obedience. We've also heard stories about the birth of the church and the proclamation of the first Christians, how they went out into the world to proclaim a message of more, more life, more love, oftentimes more than the world was ready to receive. Today we have to do something a little bit different. Today we find ourselves having to grapple with the question of how we are to make sense of a gospel of more while living in a world that is far too often marked by less. Less faithfulness, less trust, less love, and less life. These last several weeks have been difficult, to say the least. We have been confronted with the tragedy of senseless and brutal violence and unbearable loss, not once or twice, but repeatedly. The fabric of our social and cultural life continues to fray as we find ourselves seemingly incapable of pursuing mutual understanding and cooperation. We continue to face the prospect of international conflict on a scale we haven't seen in more than 50 years, and we hear increasingly anxious projections about just how difficult the year ahead may be and how those who are most vulnerable are likely going to be the ones who are hit the hardest. What does it mean for us as Christians to speak of more in a world that so often and so thoroughly is marked by less. Less faithfulness, less trust, less love, and less life. The first and most important thing that we can say about this question is given to us in our gospel lesson, and it is this, Jesus prays for us. By this, I do not only mean that he prayed for us a long time ago over there in first century Palestine, but rather, Jesus prays for us right now. The Son of God, risen from the dead and given authority over heaven and earth, prays for us to the Father. The Lord of heaven and earth intercedes before the Father on our behalf and on behalf of the whole world And as he himself told us, his father always hears him. Jesus prays for us in the midst of less. And the fact that he prays for us means that he understands our sorrow. He does not pray as one who has no awareness or no sympathy, but he prays as one who takes our sorrow upon himself and offers it to the father. And in return, he takes the Father's love upon himself and he offers it to us and to the world. Jesus stands between the Father and the world, mediating the loss and the brokenness of the world to the Father and mediating the grace and the love of the Father to the world. Now, your immediate thought may be that it doesn't seem as if the prayer of Jesus is doing much good. If he is indeed the Lord of heaven and earth, and if indeed his Father always hears him, then why? Why the violence? Why the loss? Why the conflict? Why less, indeed far less, instead of the more that we hear God has in mind for us? That question, again, takes us back to our gospel lesson, and it takes us directly to the heart of the kind of more to which we are called. The passage that we heard today from John's Gospel is part of what is often called the High Priestly Prayer of Jesus. And this prayer takes up an entire chapter of John. Jesus offers this prayer during the supper that he shares with his disciples immediately before his arrest. And in this prayer, Jesus prays for himself, he prays for his first disciples, and he prays for us and for all who believe in him. He prays that all who believe in him would be one, not just united with one another, but united with him and with the Father. He prays that all those who are united with him would be protected, but he prays this, knowing that they are unite, that those who are united will face some very real dangers. He does not pray that they would somehow manage to avoid danger, but rather he prays that they will be enabled to overcome the dangers they will face. And he prays that those who are united with him would be sanctified even as he himself has been sanctified, set apart, and made perfect for the work that God has given him to do. But even more important than that, more important than what he prays, is how he prays. This is the thing that I think really begins to help us understand what it means to be called to more, called to the life that he has for us. Jesus does not pray in the hope that the Father would do something about that problem over there. In other words, Jesus does not pray, Father, do something about that issue that those people over there seem to be having. Fix that problem for them, please. Instead, he offers himself as the place where God's work is going to be done. He offers his life as the means through which God's glory and God's love will be offered to the world. He prays in thanksgiving for everything the Father has already given him, and he prays in anticipation of the even greater work the Father is about to do. He does not just pray that the brokenness of the world would be healed, he takes the brokenness on himself and he offers it to the father knowing that his father will redeem and save him and can transform the brokenness into an opportunity for new life. And he does this, he prays in this way because this way of praying is itself something that he receives from his father. This way of praying reflects a way of living and a way of being that has been given to him. The love that he has for his disciples and for the world has been given to him by the Father, and he reflects the Father's love. The glory that he has revealed to his disciples and to the world is itself the glory of the Father. The life that he shares with his disciples is itself the life that is given to him by the Father. Through the gift of the Spirit, the Father and the Son open the relationship that they share with one another and they invite the world to make that place their home. That is the more to which we are called, sharing in the very life of God and then offering that life to the world. Jesus invites us to be more than just good people. He offers us the opportunity to partner with him in the redemption and the restoration of the entire world. The more to which we are called is to be the place where God's work is done in the world, the place where God's presence is manifest. This is not something that we do. This is something that God does through us when we offer our lives to him. So how do we do that? How does this help us respond to the kinds of brokenness and the kinds of dangers with which we have been so recently and so tragically confronted? In order to bring God's love to bear in the midst of those kinds of situations, we have to learn to stand where Jesus stands. We have to learn to stand in the place that enables us to offer the brokenness of the world to God and to offer the mercy and the glory and the love of God to the world. And the only way we can do that is to go to where the brokenness lies. We have to take that brokenness upon ourselves. We can't pray for the problem that's over there or for the people who are over there. We have to go to where the problem lies and take the problem upon ourselves. We have to be the place where God's work is done. But We will only be able to do that if we remember that the place where Jesus stands is not just in the midst of the world's loss. It is also in the fullness of God's more, at the right hand of the Father. Jesus stands in a place that is not subject to loss or fear or despair or even death. Jesus stands in a place that has taken all of those things into itself and has overcome them. Now we hear a little of that in our gospel lesson. Jesus prays, I desire that those who believe in me may be with me where I am to see my glory at the right hand of the Father. Glory that you have given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. The place where Jesus stands is the place where he has always stood and will always stand. At the very heart of the Father's love, in a place that is governed by the life and the power and the glory of God. We are called to more. We are called to be the place where God's work gets done in the world. And the ways we go about doing this will be as varied and as manifold as each of our individual lives and the opportunities that we have been given. But Jesus has given us a clue that helps us set our sights, on how to work together to accomplish this. He prays, I ask on behalf of all those who believe in me that they may be one. As you, Father, are in me and as I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. It is our identity as a reconciled community that bears witness to our identity as disciples of Jesus. It is our unity that marks us as the people of God and it is the work of reconciliation that helps guide the work that we do. So how might we practice reconciliation and mutuality not just in response to senseless violence, but so that the conditions that allow for such violence are changed? How might we encourage reconciliation and mutuality in ways that strengthen the social and cultural fabric of our lives? How might we offer our lives as the place where Christ is at work in the world, places that are governed by the life and the power and the glory of God? This is the perfect time in the church year for us to be asking those kinds of questions because we are in the middle of a season that shows us most fully what it means to live in the place where God is at work in the world. We have celebrated the resurrection of our Lord and the new life that God has given to the world through him. We have celebrated his ascension to the Father and the offering of his sanctified humanity in the heart of the life of God. And we are about to celebrate the coming of the Spirit the thing that makes it possible for us to be where he is. All of those observances have something essential to teach us about what it means for us to be called to more. And this is the perfect time in our life as a community of faith for us to be asking those kinds of questions. We're getting ready to wrap up our celebration of 75 years of successful ministry And we are charting a path forward as we make plans for another 75 years and beyond. God is by no means done working in the world and God is by no means done with us. We are called to more. We are called to stand where Jesus stands and to be the place where God's presence and God's activity is manifest in the world. So let us learn to make our own the prayer that our Lord himself offers today for us. Let us pray for the grace to be a people who are known for their unity and their reconciliation and for the way that they show forth God's glory in the world so that the world may believe in the one whom God has sent and that through believing the world may have life in his name. Amen.